This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And attitude is. Here's how the dictionary defines attitude. How you act or think based on the disposition of your mind. And that means how you view anything, any person, any circumstance. How you see it is how you're going to live it out. And so attitude is very important. It's all how you choose to see anything. And attitude is always, always a choice. Nothing is more important than having a good, positive mental attitude. Your attitude can make you or break you, heal or hurt you, make friends for you or make you enemies, put you uptight or put you at ease, make you miserable or make you happy. It's all attitude. Make you a failure or make you a success. Some people today think the whole world stinks. It's attitude. 99 times out of 100, when we begin to feel things stink, problem is not with the world or with others, but ourselves, because our attitude has become negative. Change negative attitudes to positive ones, and you change your world. How important is your attitude? Your attitude is more important than facts, circumstances, what others say, past, your education, money. Your attitude is more important than anything else. All right. Now, my personal Bible study I see different characters in John's gospel. What I'd like to do is take these different characters, a different character every week, and we'll start today with John the Baptist, and look at their attitude and what that says to our faith and life. Well, their attitude, again, is their mental disposition and how it affects the way we live, how we relate to people. See, how you choose to see things is everything. So we're going to take various characters in John's gospel and look at their attitude toward life, circumstances, people, everything, and see what that has to say to our faith and life, okay? So the first guy I said we're going to consider is John the Baptist, and that's John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, some of the most coveted, coveted verses of my life. I mean, this is the attitude that I want more than any attitude in my life. And John winds up, this whole thing winds up with them. Verse 30, and I'm saying it in the words of the King James, he must increase and I must decrease. John wanted people to notice. He didn't want people to notice him. He wanted people to see Jesus. I need to say that again. John didn't want people to notice him. He wanted people to see Jesus. He wanted Jesus Christ to have all the glory. And so John saw himself, and this is the thing. John saw himself as not that big a deal. He says, I'm no big deal. He wanted Jesus Christ to have the glory. And so today, in part one, 
power of attitude, how you see yourself, your attitude towards yourself. Now, we need a little Bible history here because you look at the last book of the Old Testament, that's Malachi, and then you got the first, and Malachi was the last of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Then you get to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. Now, between Malachi and Matthew, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 450 years. Now, see, God always gave Israel a prophet, a voice, a voice from God. Here's what the prophet did. The prophet God, a voice, the, the, the prophet God, the prophet of Israel, people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, people like that, Jonah, always got a message from God. God spoke to them maybe in dreams, visions, maybe an angel, maybe audibly, but God spoke to the prophet, and then the prophet would take God's message to the people. Malachi was the last prophet. So for 450 years, you have no prophet, see? And again, God spoke to the people through a prophet, so, so what are you not getting? No message from God. No message of comfort, no message telling people, hang tough, God cares, God's in charge. Things are moving God's direction. There's a heaven. You're a winner. I mean, how can you live without that? We need to hear that. Now, here's our prophet right here. There are no modern-day prophets. It's all right here in the Word of God. That's our prophet today. But there wasn't even a message of judgment and sin because there was no prophet who received the message from God and told it to the people. And here's the biggest deal. This is the real biggie. Through his spokesman, the prophets, God promised a Savior, a Messiah, who would deliver the people of Israel from all their enemies. And there is no message of Messiah. Man, no message of hope. And all this bad stuff was happening. Because during that intertestamental period, that 450 years, guess what? Pompey invaded the land of the Jews, Roman general Pompey. And the Jews became a vassal of Rome. And Rome would, they just controlled them. And Rome would um, tax them out of their gourd. I mean, life wasn't good. And during this whole intertestamental period, 450 years, these very legalistic sects, S-E-C-T-S, grew up like the Sadducees and the Pharisees. With all the regulations that just burden people's consciences, if you don't do this or don't do that, God's mean and God's going to get you. And all this bad stuff is happening during this 450 years. And folks, there is no message of hope. Nobody proclaiming a Messiah. A great future, victory, no prophet. Silence from God for 450 years. And then came John, John the Baptist, a legitimate prophet. After 450 years, God spoke through John, and there was finally a message from God. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 32, John had just baptized the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ came up out of the water. Now listen, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Holy Spirit come down from heaven as a dove. Christ comes up out of the River Jordan, and the Spirit just kind of floats down from heaven, and lights on Jesus. Then John gave this testimony, 32 of John 1. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, see? He told me, he told me. Well, what's going on there? See, the voice of God is going to the prophet and the prophet speaking to the people again. There is now a message from God, see? He told me the man in whom you see the Spirit come down and remain as he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God, see. 
And so God spoke to the prophet and the prophet spoke to the people. John spoke to the people and God told John, he said, tell the people the Messiah is here. Tell them to repent. Tell them to turn from their sins. Offer them my forgiveness. Give these people hope. The first prophet in 450 years. And man, you can just imagine this. People came out to John in droves. They came out to masses, in in masses. They were so starved for a message from God. Can you imagine how popular John was? The first prophet in 450 years. And he came with words of promise. See, it's like you and me living for a long, long time without ever hearing. God's in this. God will give you strength. What a message. And that just attracted, attracted just just hordes and hordes of people. I can read this to you in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his weight. That's that's Matthew 3, 4. His food was locusts and wild honey, and that was was just par for the course for, for desert dwellers. And listen, people, this is verse 5, Matthew 3. And people went out to him from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan, Jerusalem, all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And with all these people coming out after him, you, you, you imagine John could get very heady about this whole thing, and he could say, hey, well, I'm the Messiah. I'm great, see? And he could have taken all those accolades, but that's not what John did. See, we're talking about attitude. John says, I'm nobody great. I'm the one God the Father ordained to prepare his, the Messiah's way, to make him great. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 3.11, here's what John said. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the sandals on the Messiah's feet. That's attitude. Now, here's what happened. See, John was drawing all these crowds. And then Jesus chooses his disciples and he starts going out in, the, out in the wilderness preaching and teaching too. Well, well, this is John 3, 22. I'll read this to you. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean, Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. So now Jesus is out near where John is and he's teaching and he's preaching and he's baptizing. And remember, all these crowds came to John, right? Now what's happening? All the crowds are going to Jesus. And John's getting a few stragglers. And his disciples get all bent out of shape about this. And they say in verse 26, they came to John, John's disciples, and they said to him, Rabbi, meaning teacher, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. What they're saying is, This is the Jesus you testified about. You made him great. He's drawn all the people. We're getting all the leftovers. What are they implying? It's not fair. It's not fair. Now you get to this passage. And this, man, I I think if I had one one passage I relate to in, in, in all the New Testament, one thing I want to be, it's this. John chapter 3, 27 to 30. And to this, John replied, they said, everybody's going out to him. We're getting all the leftovers. John replied, he said, a man can only receive what's given him from heaven. Verse 28, you, you yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, the friend, that's him, who attends the bridegroom, who is Christ, waits and listens for him. And he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. 
And it's now complete. And then these wonderful words, and I, I, you know, the NIV says, he must become great, I must become less. I learned it in the King James, and I, I just love these words. He must increase, and I must decrease. I see um, three things. I, I, I broke this down to three statements. First of all, verse 27, he says, he said, um, I can only receive what God gives me. I mean, this is attitude. This is, this is a great attitude. We're talking about attitude. He said, any success I have is from him. John's saying, I give it my best, but he makes it happen. I can only receive what comes down from heaven. Secondly, verse 29, he said, I'm only the friend of the bridegroom or the best man at the wedding. I'm the behind the scenes guy at the wedding who makes all the arrangements. I'm the wedding director, the guy who makes it click. The bride, that's the people, the bride is his, not mine. And I'm content to be behind the scenes. He said it like this. When I hear the groom's or the bridegroom's voice, man, my joy is full. That's attitude. That's all attitude. Thirdly, memorize this. Keep it in your heart until the Lord comes again. I repeat it to myself more than any passage in all Scripture. He must increase, and I must decrease. And so when I wrote this, I thought to myself, where do I begin? with applications to our faith and life. Remember, attitude is how you see a given situation, a person, anything, and how you see it. Deal, I mean, determines how you're going to deal with it, okay? Now, a big part of attitude is how you see yourself. And John saw himself, how was the best man at a wedding, okay? Who in that culture was responsible for all the arrangements of the wedding. And when the groom came for the bride, he would fade into the background. And the groom, Jesus on the scene now, would get all the attention and all the glory. And it was John's job to make him look good. It was John's job to prepare the way. And he knew that because Isaiah prophesied of John. Listen, God prophesied this through Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling. Calling where? In the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And John knew that referred to him. And so that's why he ministered out in the wilderness, see. John's job was to make a path for the Lord, and he would do it in the desert wilderness. Now, John, and here's the attitude. Here's the big attitude. Kept himself in perspective. He wasn't a big deal. He was there to serve. He was there to make Jesus look good. He didn't have to be noticed. It was enough for John that God the Father knew he was faithful to what God had called him to do. That's all he cared about. Listen, he saw the purpose of his life to make Jesus increase and himself decrease. And that's God's word. And he wrote that. I didn't write that. This is in the Bible for a reason. And one of the reasons is that we develop an attitude like John the Baptist and keep ourselves in perspective. And here's how that attitude toward yourself, this is how you see yourself, will bless you and others. We, we, we talk about self-worth and how we feel about ourselves. Oh, let me say it like this. It's not based on our performance or what other people think about us. Our self-worth is based on God's love for us and who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's a mouthful. Or our self-worth should be based on who we are in Jesus Christ and the Father's love for us, okay? When you have the right perspective on yourself, you don't have to be insecure. 
If you're not the most successful person in the world, or if you're not the most, most popular person in your group, you don't, have to be, you don't have to be insecure about that. See, people who once flocked to hear John, and were now flocking to hear Jesus, and Jesus was going this way, and John was going this way, and John was okay with that, that didn't make him feel like something less, because he knew he'd been faithful to God's call in his life, and that God the Father in heaven was pleased with him, and that was enough. I want to tell you something. John didn't need all the accolades. He didn't need to be the center of attention. He didn't need to have people saying, oh, how great you are, and just, just paying all this attention to him. John didn't need that. He'd given God what he could. He was loved by his Father in heaven. That was enough. And so where did John find his security and self-worth? He found it in the Father's love for him. You know, I'll go through the checkout lines in the stores and I try not to look at the tabloids, but I I see these magazines. And I'm not kidding you, 10 out of 10 of these magazines are all about weight loss and looking good and meeting this almost supermodel image. And folks, that's not where self-worth is rooted. Not at all. I think about ladies and girls, you know, God made you who you are. You got to think about this. Your physical attributes are yours by God's design. God designed you, see. And you are unique and you are beautiful to him and he loves you for who you are. And you make yourself look as good as you can with the raw material God gave you, but you always come back to this. He designed me. He made me. And I'm beautiful to my God, see? Guys, they evaluate themselves on their job performance, their advancement, maybe their salary. And we could look at stuff like that. I mean, you, you fill in the blanks in your own life. And, and, and we could all be threatened by what we're not doing, by comparing ourselves to other people, what somebody else is doing. And see, now, now that doesn't excuse us from having vision and taking bold steps. But folks, here's what you do. You give God your very best and you leave the rest to him. And you rest in that. I can't do any more than that. You can't do any more. I just, you know, I, leave, I give them all I have and you rest in that and your self-worth, your, your self-worth is not based on what you accomplish. Your self-worth is based on his love for you. I, I, I went right back to John chapter 10. This is so good in John chapter 10 and this is verse three. Our Lord's talking about the good shepherd. I said, I've been studying John and this is one of those passages that comes right off the page and hits you. In John chapter 10, verse 3, it says, The watchman opens the gate for him, the good shepherd, that's Jesus, and the sheep listen to his voice. Now, here's what struck me. The sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by, see that? Name. God knows your name. God knows my name. He calls them by name, by name, by name, see? And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when when he brought out all his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice and he knows their name. You know his voice, you follow him. He know, Out of all the people in the world, he knows you by name. And you think to yourself, man, he loves me. Out of all the people in the world, he loves me and I love him. And, and, and this thing that me and Jesus, this love relationship that me and Jesus have going, that is really a neat thing. That's how you think. You got to train yourself to think like that. Listen, listen, listen. You don't have to be the most beautiful person in the world to have self-worth. You don't have to be the best at what you do. 
Strive for excellence, but you don't have to be all that stuff. And listen, here's something else. People may unjustly criticize you too, and they may make you feel badly about yourself. Now, let me stop there. I mean, I'm talking about unjust criticism, unjust, some criticism we need. I mean, but you can feel good about yourself when you are receiving unjust criticism or when you feel like a real loser because God knows you by name and he puts the highest value on you. And I, boy, I thought about Deuteronomy. And this applies to Israel, but this bring this down home to yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. God chose Israel. But listen to this. God's talking to Israel, but he's talking to you and me. Deuteronomy 6, 7, 6. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Say, just say to yourself, he's talking to me. Let me read this again. The Lord your God has chosen you. Put your name in there, okay? Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now, now look at verse seven. The Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. See, God chose to set his love on Israel as a nation and on you and me, not because we're more in number, we're more successful or better looking or more spiritual. He set his love on us simply because he loved them. He just, in his sovereign will, chose to love you. That doesn't get any better than that. That's the attitude we need toward ourselves. My God's in love with me. He loves me so much, he actually, actually died. God died in my place on a cross, a horrible death for me. And for all you folks who find your self-worth and your accomplishments and how well you perform, uh, the whole, listen, the whole essence of the gospel militates against that. I just, I got to go back to a passage most of us here know, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. And again, this is for all of us who base our own self-worth on our performance. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It has nothing to do with your performance. It's a gift of God. And so this whole attitude, this whole mindset, you know, my self-worth is based on what I earn, you know, how I advance my performance. You know, it, listen, folks, it's grace. That, that's not how God sees you. It's grace, grace, and more grace. Our salvation is a gift of God in love, and it's yours forever. And that's the toughest thing to get across to our culture. Our Father, our Lord, don't love you more or less depending on how you perform. His salvation is a free gift to those who believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you say, well, God loves them. So I don't need to affirm them. No, no, no. We all need affirmation. Guys, you need to tell your wives how beautiful they are. You need to say, honey, you light up my life. And wives, you know your husbands are performance-oriented. And, and, and so you need to notice what they do. And you need to compliment them. And, and, and we need to move in the Holy Spirit. And, and as God's leading us, man, we need to take some bold steps with our lives. But let's just say for the sake of argument, you get none of that. No affirmations, no compliments, no you're beautiful to me, no baby you're the greatest, no bold moves, no significant accomplishment, zero, none of that. This is what you have. You know the love of your heavenly father. That's what you have. You get none of that. Nobody affirms you. You know the love of the Heavenly Father. You know that cross is for you. You know he knows you by name. And you are loved by him. And that's where your self-worth is. 
This is a series about attitude, beginning with your attitude towards yourself. John the Baptist was the first prophet in 450 years, and people thought this guy was the Messiah, and he said, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. See, he had a prop, proper biblical attitude toward himself, and when you have a proper biblical attitude about yourself, and here's a big thing with me, here, here's a, just another application. When you see yourself properly and have the right attitude toward yourself, you don't have to rely on the flesh. And what's the flesh? Anything you do in your own strength. Now, let me ask you, does the flesh work? Sure, the flesh works. I mean, I look at any business out there that's successful. And unless you're a Christian business, you know, you built that thing without God. See, the definition of flesh is what you do without God, what you do in your own strength without God. There's lots of people out there who accomplish great things in the flesh. If you know Christ is your Savior, you don't rely on your flesh. Here's your attitude from a song I learned when I was a kid. I am weak and he is strong. That's my attitude toward life. I am weak and he is strong. You know, listen, folks, I can write these messages and I can stand up here and speak them. But if God doesn't take these words and do something with them, nothing's going to happen. Because then it's all me in the flesh. See, I, I just, I love this. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. You talk about attitude. See, Paul was the apostle. Apollos, A-P-P-O-L-O-S, was also a pretty good, pretty good speaker, pretty good evangelist. And together with those two guys preaching and teaching, man, a lot of people came to Christ. But look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. He said, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants, only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul said, I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants, you write your own story here, nor he who waters is anything but only God. He's everything who makes things grow. That's attitude. Wow. Listen, we always strive for excellence. That's a given. I mean, whatever you give effort to, maybe you're witnessing to somebody, maybe you're trying to mend a fractured relationship or support your family. I mean, you pray intensely, you give it 200%, but then you trust God to make it happen. Man, all the pressure's off you to make it happen. I mean, you give it everything you have and you trust God, not your flesh, to make it happen. Look what's happening. You're trusting God. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School. 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.